Um, so I get encouraged uh, to, to be together. Uh, last week, for those of you who missed, we, uh, we had a good talk on anger. I think, uh, what was that? Miss Debbie says, ouch. It was good for us to talk about uh, a biblical understanding of anger and the fact that we all have it. Uh, <laughs> yeah, that's what I noticed. You weren't there, Brent. You decided not to come. Um, so tonight what I hope to do is uh, I actually want to tie a little bit of, with what I was preaching from this morning uh, through Romans, and, and I want to actually start and, go, and look through the life of Joseph. I want to talk through the life, life of Joseph a little bit. I don't know how far we'll get through his life tonight, but let's take a couple weeks and just walk through that. And then uh, whenever we see something that uh, you know, is happening in the culture that makes sense that we need to address, we'll do that, but uh, kind of work through, through Joseph's life. But... Before we do that, we need to pray, and then I think Miss Cindy has said that she'll she'll lead a couple of songs with the I'm piano. Mike could probably lead him. I think. <laughs> All right, well, let's pray together. Ask God's grace upon us, and then we will uh, we'll we'll try our best to sing the songs. Father, we love you and thank you that we can gather together this evening, Lord. Thank you for everybody that's here. Pray your grace upon those who couldn't make it tonight. Lord, we ask that as we, we sing these songs to you, Lord, that they would be honoring to you and we would be encouraged as we sing over uh, and to one another. Um, God, we also ask that as we look at your word, that you would encourage us from your word and make us look more like Jesus. Lord, we, we dedicate this time to you and we love you and we thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, so what's the first number? All right, let me change the screen real quick just to get that off so it's not distracting us. All right, so we're doing 657? Or Yeah. All right, so number one, the first one is 657. Stand up, stand up for Jesus. Well, stand up first to sing. Almost. I have no idea. All four? Yeah. Brenda, you sing, help sing. Come on. I can't, You're fun. I can't sing either. Get up here. <laughs> but you'll know the songs. Yes, some of them I know, some of them I don't know. I wasn't raised in church. That's it, yeah. Stand up, stand up for Jesus, ye soldiers of the cross. Lift high his royal banner, it must not suffer loss. From victory unto victory, his army shall he lead. Till every foe is vanquished, and Christ is Lord indeed. Stand up, stand up for Jesus, the trumpet call obey. Forth to the mighty conflict, and this his glorious day. Ye who are men now serve him against unnumbered foe. Let courage rise with danger and strength to strength oppose. 
Stand up, stand up for Jesus, stand in his strength alone. The armor flesh will fail you, ye dare not trust your own. Put on the gospel armor, each piece put on with prayer. Where duty calls or danger, be never wanting there. Stand up, stand up for Jesus, the strife will not be long. This day the noise of battle, the next the victor's song. To him who overcometh a crown of life shall be. With the King of glory shall reign eternally. Amen. All right. Next one is 462. 462. We'll work till Jesus comes. Out of Galatians, they use Galatians 6, 9. Let us not be weary or grow weary in doing good or well-doing. Both verses? We're going to do two. When will the moment come When I shall lay my armor by And dwell in peace at home We'll work, work, till Jesus comes We'll work, we'll work till Jesus comes And work till Jesus comes And we'll be gathered Jesus Christ, I fled for rest. He bade me cease to roam and lean for comfort on his breast till he conducts me home. We'll work till Jesus comes. We'll work till Jesus comes. We'll work till Jesus comes and we'll be gathered home. Amen. Thank you. You be seated. Thank you, Miss Brenda. How many of y'all knew those well? A few. Only a few. Yeah, those are different. All right. All right, so let's start by opening back to Romans 8 from this morning. Romans chapter 8. Mm-hmm. Romans chapter 8.
So today what we covered this morning was 18 through 28, so I do want to to read through that and then comment on uh, specifically verse 28 for a few minutes, and then we're going to jump into the life of Joseph. Paul's letter to the church at Corinth, and in chapter 7, if you'll remember, we saw this kind of law and sin where Paul was talking about the battle that we have going on, all of us. Uh, sin in our flesh and the new man and the spirit battling it out and Paul ended chapter 7 with saying who's going to deliver him from this body of death gets into chapter 8 and it just says begins with there's there is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus we talked about if there's no condemnation in Christ then as you get to the end of chapter 8 there's no separation from him ever And so we spent a couple weeks working through the first part of chapter 8. And last week, we covered that if we're going to be those who have the Spirit of God, our children of God, I'm in verse 17 here, and heirs of God and fellow heirs with Christ, provided we suffer with Him in order that we may be glorified with Him. So suffering with Christ is not like a side note. It is required to suffer with Christ to be glorified with Christ. We must identify with Christ in His sufferings. So then Paul gets into right away talking about the sufferings of this present time. He just said, you're going to suffer with Christ. You'll be glorified with Christ. So let me read down, follow along, beginning of verse 18, and then we'll just comment on 28 for a few minutes. For I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worth comparing with the glory that is to be revealed to us. For the creation waits with eager longing for the revealing of the sons of God. For the creation was subjected to fertility, not willingly, but because of him who subjected it in hope. That the creation itself will be set free from its bondage to corruption and obtain the freedom of the glory of the children of God. For we know that the whole creation has been groaning together in the pains of childbirth until now. And not only the creation, but we ourselves, who have the first fruits of the Spirit, grown inwardly as we wait eagerly for adoption as sons, the redemption of our bodies. For in this hope we were saved. Now hope that is seen is not hope. For who hopes for what he sees? But if we hope for what we do not see, we wait for it with patience. Likewise, the Spirit helps us in our weakness, for we do not know what to pray for as we ought, but the Spirit himself intercedes for us with groanings too deep for words. And he who searches hearts knows what is the mind of the Spirit, because the Spirit intercedes for the saints according to the will of God. All that, in short, you could say that Paul is arguing that the sufferings you face now are not worth comparing. It's normal and right that creation and even you groan for something to be fixed, for something to be better, and the Spirit of God groans inside of you, groans for you. Okay, that'd be a quick summary of that there. And that led us to verse 28, where we spent some time this morning. And we know that for those who love God, all things work together for good for those who are called according to his purpose. I want to say this to start. Called according to his purpose. Whenever it gets into the purposes of God, That's talking about his plans and the things that he's doing. Okay? So called according to his purpose, which is going to be linked to the things that he's doing for his glory. Okay? 
Everything God does, make no mistake, everything that He does is about His own glory. He's actually jealous for His own glory. Have you ever heard that? Y'all heard that God is jealous before? Think about that for a second. Jealous. When we hear jealous, generally speaking, what comes to mind? Good thing, bad thing? Bad thing generally, right? Bad thing. We think, oh, jealousy, that's a, that's a bad thing. But, if you are the rightful owner of something, for example, I'm a blessed and married man, way out of my league. If you ever wonder if God is gracious, just look. <laughs> she is my wife. We are one. If there was another man that was trying to get with her, I could be jealous about that, rightfully so, in the sense of that's, that's not right. You're breaking, you're trying to break up something that's, just, that's not right. This is my wife. Now, the challenge would be handling that appropriately and not sinning, but she belongs to me, I belong to her. That's how that is. I should not be jealous if somebody was going to hit on Miss Jenny. That, that's not for me. That would be for Jamie to be jealous. That's where anger comes in from last week. That's for Jamie. I, I wouldn't be jealous because that's not, she's not my wife. This is my wife. So here's the thing. God is the only one who deserves the praise and the glory and the honor. He's the only one who deserves it. So anytime it goes somewhere else, that's wrong. And thus he's jealous for it to be for him. It's one of the biggest dangers that we have with success in our lives. One of the biggest dangers that we could have is success in a church, as a preacher, or anything, taking credit for something that God has done. It's very, very dangerous. We have to be very careful in this. So that's the idea of those who are called, and we're going to get into this next week, of what this calling looks like, but called according to His purposes. Those that God calls according to His plan for His glory. But what Paul says here, which was so interesting that we just touched on this morning, is he says we know that for those who love God, those who are in Christ, all things work together for good. Now, we've talked about this before, and many of you are Greek scholars now. When it says all, guess what it means? <laughs> all things. Now, I don't want to get just too deep on this thing, but, but think for a second. What, what must God be? What attributes must, must He be or have, if you will, to be able to work every single thing, everything in your life and your life and your life, all believers, all times, all places to work all of those things, every single thing that's happening into your life, including the free choices that you're making and the free choices that other people are making against you, sins that are happening that you're making, sins that are happening against you, natural disasters, all kinds of stuff that the fact that you're living in a world that's fallen and creation is groaning and things aren't working as they should. All of that 
to work every single little aspect out for his glory, the things according to his purpose, purposes, and for your good. Okay? What, is that, what does that word mean? Omniscient or omniscience is what she said. What does that mean? Knowing all things. No, okay. Now, we have to be very careful. Do you really believe God knows all things? Really? What's that? He has to. He has to. He has to know everything. Why, why does he have to? Okay? So by definition, we're going to say that he knows everything. Does he learn anything at all? No. no. He doesn't learn, so he knows everything. Nor is he surprised. Like, but, but let me ask you this then. Why, counsel me here. You're going to give me some counseling here. Why, when I sin, I begin to think that he would love me less or I start to, to doubt his care for me? Because how could he? Look what I just did. What would you say to me? We have limited understanding. Mm-hmm. Right. Or for what reason he's allowing things to happen in your life. Okay. So we can only see what's in front of us or directly around us when he sees the, the whole picture in its entirety. He sees the whole picture at once in its entirety. That includes all your mess ups, all your sin. Like, think about before he even said go and spoke things into existence, it was already there right before he create created us spoke he knew every single thing about you everything that would happen and it was all worked out in his plan did your mind explode yet yeah. I, I, we understand everything within the construct of time right Right. Out, right. He was not constricted by right. the right. of time. Right. Which we are. We only see things in a linear fashion. Right. What's in front of us or what's behind us. Right. God sees it all. All at once. So he would have to. To be right, to be able to know and work to, to work everything out for your good, he would have to know everything. Because then if, if there was something you didn't know then he couldn't account for that and make it, make it happen. So he'd have to know everything. Good. What's another, what's another aspect or another attribute, if you will, that God would have to have or be to be able to do that? You have to be omnipotent. Okay. Another big word thrown out. Omnipotent. What does that mean? All-powerful. All-powerful. It'd be, it'd be one thing, right, to, to, to know everything, but if you couldn't do anything about it, like some of you have had kids and like, you know what they're about to do is going to just crash and burn. Like, this thing's about to fail. Like, you know that. Like, you're not in the same sense of God, like, where he doesn't even learn it. But you, from experience, you're like, oh, that's a bad plan. Whether that's something, a business deal they're going into, that's a relationship that they're going into, or truthfully, you see your kids just wrestling outside, maybe when they were younger, and you're like, yeah, it's not going to be good. For me, the main one that I see, running in flip-flops. Right? Running in flip-flops, I'm like, that's not going to end well. It may not be this today, but that's not going to end well soon. But that doesn't mean I can do anything about it. I don't have the power 
to be able to make sure that either it doesn't happen or even to do something about it and work it in a way that's going to guarantee to be good for them. I can't do that. I'm limited in my power. God is not. Anything else? For him to work all things for his glory and your good, he needs to know everything and he needs to be all powerful. Is there anything else that he would need? Or to need to be? What's that? Um, man, we got some big words in here now. Omnipresent. What does that mean? Everywhere, right? He'd have to be everywhere all at the same time, right? Okay. We can't do that. He can. What else? Come on. A lot of love. Ooh, right? And we know that for those who love God, all things work together for good. But the fact that we love God is because He first loved us. Like, knowing every thing about, like, I know some things about y'all. You know yourselves, but God, what's crazy is God knows you better than you know yourself. And he's like, I love you. I love you. And so he loves us with this great love and makes sure that when he calls us according to his purposes, that he's going to use that for your good in everything. (laughs) I think at times he does use something similar to a belt. That's where we got some passages about that. So with that loved one, here's what I want to tie to that. With that loved one, so he'd have to be loving, but I'm also going to say that for him to work everything for our good, he would have to be good, right? He'd have to be good. He'd have to be holy. He'd have to be, you can't work everything for good if you're bad. Like, you know, he would have to be good. So he'd have to be everywhere. He'd have to know everything. He'd have to be all powerful. He'd have to be all loving and he'd have to be holy or good. Now, the question is, do we believe these things about God? Like, really deep down. But what's interesting is they sneak into our lives. Lies come in, and we begin to believe other things. So, when you get that bad news, and you start to go, why, God? You know, not the, not like the guy who has been a jerk in town, and then got a car accident, and you're kind of like, well... I know why that happened. I don't mean that one. I mean like the story we were hearing today for the prayer request today with this family where I guess the husband killed the children and burned down the house. Where are you, God? Where are you in that? Because I'm not... That one, I, I have a hard time processing that one. We've talked about... Things like abortion. Where are you in that one, God? You know you could do something about it. You're good. Why don't you wipe it out? What, what's going on? Right? The, 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 the different gunmen who go into these places, right? Go in and shoot people. Elementary school. Is God asleep on the job? No. Did he know it was going to happen? Even before he created the world. Is he good? Yes. Does he have the power to stop? Man, that guy could have had an aneurysm and dropped dead before he pulled the trigger. Could he not? I mean, do, I mean, do you believe? I mean, could he not? It could have happened. But it doesn't. And then I think we begin to, like Job, later in the book of Job. I love people who read like first two chapters. Like, man, Job's awesome. Yeah, Job's pretty good. God's better. He straightens them out in the end. There's a lot of chapters in there. 
but we begin to go, eh, not sure, I don't get that one. And I think it sneaks in to our beliefs at times and sneaks into our worship. And we start to jeopardize or start to give in a little on some attribute of God. We start to doubt something about Him. Usually, some or I won't say usually, but many times is goodness. We start to doubt His goodness. Or we start to think maybe He doesn't know. Or maybe His power. It just depends on the situation. So for this to be true, for Paul to say here, and we know, verse 28, that for those who love God, all things work together for good. As I said this morning, I would encourage you to just memorize this verse. Just memorize this verse because, man, I don't know about you guys, but when those hard times come, I need the Spirit to bring Scripture to show me truth. Every single thing. So this morning we had Caleb up here, and for those of you who couldn't make it this morning, he uh, was part of the illustration where he took a sip of the cold, cold, bitter coffee, and uh, <laughs> he was not, not excited about that. Then I asked him to take another sip, and he's like, oh, man. And I said, what, what are you thinking right now? He goes, seriously? Right, was that what you said, seriously? Come on, man. Oh, come on, man. Come on, man. Right? And if I'm really being honest, that's sometimes where I'm at. Like when I hit my, you ever do that? When I hit my head on the golf cart? And I, my response out of the, the depths of my heart is, seriously? Oh, like I needed that. Who am I talking to? Like I'm not talking to Heather. She's not there. I'm not talking to myself usually on that. Generally, what's going on deep in my heart there is I'm, I'm making a little comment to God. Did I really need that? You know what I'm talking about? I mean, am I, am I the only one on this? Or Okay, I just want to make sure because this feels really weird if I'm the only one. I've got to be honest. just time to confess here. Even if it is, I guess, though. Too bad. I guess I'll share it. But, and I have to, but then I get more confused. Right? I'm rubbing my head going, all things for good. So then I start playing this game like, well, maybe you did that so I'd remember the Bible verse and then I'll remember that you're good. But couldn't you just like had a truck go by with the Bible verse on it? <laughs> you know, the truth of the matter is I don't pay attention to the truck the same way I do to hit my head. I don't. I might see it on the truck and it's not real. There's something that's called practical theology. It's when your actual theology becomes real. There's a lot of people who believe a lot of things about God, but then in real life, it doesn't actually come out. You actually practice something different than what you believe because those core beliefs, they're not actually rooted deep in your soul. They're kind of out still. And they haven't taken up residence deep in your soul. And so you start to doubt things. So he'd have to know everything. He'd have to have power to do something about it. He'd have to be good. You have to be everywhere to work every single thing for my good and your good for those who are called according to his purposes. Now, let's flip to the book of Genesis. And I want to spend some time. We'll start tonight and we'll see you know, how many weeks it takes. But I want to talk through Genesis. Let's go. I think it's 30, chapter 36 or 37. Let me look. 30, 
37. Yeah, 37. There are two words that we commonly use that kind of speak about the way things happen or God's ruling. There's, there's the word sovereignty, God's sovereignty. And that basically would mean that he has the right to rule over everything. He's the owner of everything. Okay, So he has the right to do whatever he pleases. Which, again, normally we're pretty good with, unless that starts to interfere with like our stuff. Then there's another word, providence. Providence, okay? Now, what's interesting is sovereign, you'll find that, that word in the Bible. Providence, you will not find that word in particular in the Bible. But it, it's a truth that we see expressed in the Bible, and it's a Latin word to try to catch that idea. Same would be true for the Trinity. Don't see that word in the Bible, but we have a, a word that we try to catch the truth of uh, that word. So providence is going to be basically according to God's wisdom, in one sense, how he works out his sovereign plan, how he's working it out, okay? I want us to walk through Joseph's life, and in particular, I want us to look for how many things he could actually control of what was happening to him throughout the time, and see God's providence, the working out of his plan, if you will, in Joseph's life. And what we can learn from that. Make sense? That's just that's simple. That's just what I want to try to do for the next few weeks. So, Joseph, going to begin in 37, and it should give us some, some context. So, I'm going to need people to help read and do some things, and we'll make some comments as we go. But let's see if we can get, let's start in 37 verse 1 and just go. So, I think Phil Parker is really interested in reading. I could tell with a smirk on his, he has glasses on, he's ready to go. So, Mr. Phil, would you go ahead and start with 37 verse 1? Okay, stop there. All right, so we know Jacob. You have Abraham, who has Isaac, who has Jacob. Jacob gets married, but does he have just one wife? Nope. And he doesn't have just one woman giving him kids. He has a bunch of women giving him kids. And we get his name gets changed to Israel, and we get the 12 tribes of Israel from Jacob. So up to this point, Genesis has been explaining that and said, talking about where Jacob lived in the land of his father's sojournings. So he has his son, Joseph, and Joseph comes along later in his age. Now, a couple of things, I don't know, interesting here. Joseph brought a bad report of them to their father. He's a tattletale. Now, is that something maybe he could control? Yes. Okay, so that's on him. Israel loved Joseph more than any of his other sons. Could he really control that? That's his father's doing. Now, so one thing right away here. Why, is he, why does he love him more? What's it say in the text? Why does he love him more? 
old age, almost the youngest, but he loved him in his, in his old age, or had him in his old age, so he loves him more. Now, parents, favorites. That's dangerous stuff. <laughs> We're about to see a whole bunch of chapters of stuff that happened based upon favorites. Be very careful with that. But what's interesting is he cannot control how his father looks at him, right? We can't control how people look at us or care for us. So that's one thing right there. He made him a robe of many colors. You're the favorite, so you get the best gift. As Joseph, should he have been like, oh, I don't want that. My brothers didn't get one. Is that, is that how it works with siblings? He ate it up. Put that thing on. Okay. But when his brothers saw that their father loved him more than all his brothers, they hated him and could not speak peacefully to him. Wow. Can you control that? Not really. Maybe he could have done some things a little better, but really, that's what's going on in his life. People hate him. Some people love him. Verse 5. Somebody. Or Mr. Uh, Mr. Phil, do a couple more for us, if you would. Okay. Where do dreams come from? Some sense you're like, I don't know, bad pizza? (laughs) But even the dreams that we have, even though at times they don't seem to make much sense and there's some type of, you know, scientific explanation and things, is God sovereign over dreams? Like, could he have you not remember that dream? Could Could he give you a different dream? So the Lord is even sovereign over the dream. Now, this dream seems to be uh, from the Lord, and it's going to be prophetic in many ways. So he has this dream. So again, something that he really couldn't control. But what's interesting is he has the dream, and what does he go do with it? (laughs) He runs up to the family, the brothers. Hey, y'all got to listen to my dream. Listen, I'm here, and you guys are going to bow down to me. Maybe not the wisest move. <laughs> Miss Mary says she see it. He was 17. Okay. Not surprising to you, is it? Joseph has a dream. You're like, yeah, it makes sense. That's what he's going to do. Hear this dream that I have. Behold, we're binding sheaves in the field. My sheaf arose, stood upright, and behold, your sheaves gather around about to hear what his brothers do. Oh, man, that's a great dream, man. Great dream. No. They hate him even more. On account of his dreams, which he couldn't control, on account of his words, he could have controlled. (laughs) But he can't control their hatred for him. Somebody else, pick up verse 9.
Okay. Another dream. <laughs> Didn't learn the first time. I'm going to come share that with you. But again, believing that these maybe come from the Lord, he's going to share them. Or he's just 17, as Mary said. He has another dream. Sun, moon, 11 stars. There's meaning, obviously, there. The other 11 brothers. It's interpreted for us. What do you, what father does? You know, father's like, what? Me and your mother and the others are going to bow down to you? What's going on? And so they hate him even more. But his father, just note that. What does his father do? He keeps the saying in mind. Continue, if you would, please. Whoa! Don't read over it too quickly, right? Huh? Blows my mind. Blows your, what blows your mind? What stands out to you? He goes to Shechem to find his brothers. He just happens right? to find a man wandering in the fields, and the man just happens to know who his brothers are and just happens to hear where they were going. Well, Yeah. Right. Could he control when he was born? No. Nope. And if daddy didn't, you know, daddy loved him, and so God used that. Right. God had a plan for his brothers to hate him. Right. He knew they were going to hate him. He didn't condone it. But he used bad to do it. Right. Right. And I like how they were saying, like, he he didn't make his dad tell him to go out to the fly. That wasn't part of it. You know, that's, again, the Lord the Lord's stirring there. Go out there. Okay, I'll go. Run into this guy. Oh, yeah, they're not here, but they, I heard they were talking, and I just happened to be eavesdropping, and I know that they went over here. Oh, okay, great, I'll go over here now. And so he goes and he finds them. You have to see the Lord working. What's part of the point tonight? Man, you can just read over this in your Bible reading plan and just be like, get through it. You can look at your life the same way we sometimes read through these things and just miss all the stuff God is doing. Romans 8.28 helps remind us, oh wait, all this stuff you're doing is connected and for your glory and for my good and you're doing stuff. Lord, help me pay attention to what you're doing because here's the thing. When you see what God's doing, then you can actually see purpose. You can remember that there's purpose in what's happening. And you can appreciate what's going on, and thus worship Him as you should. Right? Think about, think about this for a second. It's Mother's Day. Today, we, we tried to make it special for Heather. I'm sure you guys have done this before. Some of you did this today. So I went shopping, and I got a card for her, and I made sure to get these little slippers that she wanted. And Leanna was working hard to, to, to create a wreath for her. So he did the shopping and picked that stuff up. And the other kids, their job was to distract her because if Leanna's missing, where's Leanna? Well, she's actually in the White House trying to glue a whole bunch of stuff. So we had this whole plan. All these things working out. And, and what's interesting 
is when we finally gave it to her, she appreciated all the more when we started to explain all the details and the plan that we were working, which almost got ruined like seven times. You know why? Because we're not all powerful and all controlling. We're freaking out every time she leaves. Apparently, the kids were over there and she went outside to try to find Leanna. Ah, what are we going to do? And so they're like trying to text and somebody ran out and block her and we're trying to do all these things. And it's taking all of us to try to keep one little present hidden from her. And she almost found out multiple times. But she appreciated the plan once she heard about it. Right? Oh, that's so sweet that you would do all that. So it hopefully enhances, makes her obviously feel good, but it enhances that relationship, right? When somebody goes out of the way and they plan a whole bunch of stuff for you and they're doing all this stuff for you, you should respond with more love, right? God's doing that every second of your life. And we just zip on past it like it's nothing, Instead of this, and this is kind of where I think Paul goes when he talks about praying without ceasing. I think this is what he's talking about is, is paying attention to what's happening and being like, Lord, thank you for that. Lord, thank you for this. I hit my head. Oh, Lord, thank you for that. What are you teaching me? We're so quick to ask the question, why, when bad things happen, instead of what? What are you teaching me? What am I missing? I'm real quick to go, why, why God? Why? Why do I have to hit my head? Why did this have to happen? Why did this have to happen? And if you push him long enough, he'll end up saying to you, who are you, old man, to even question me? And that's he puts you back in your place. You go, yes, sir. Huh. Right? All this kind of stuff. She said, I look back now and I think, oh my gosh, look at the things God did yeah. that I had forgotten about. She said, right. so I wrote it down. Right. And she said, man, it was. Yeah. Amazing. It's very similar to a lot of stuff's been written down yeah. for us to go, man, God is faithful. God is faithful. And we need to hear that from one another. We need to hear stories like that. That's part of what it means to walk in community together and say, hey, I know this is a big question mark in your life right now. Misty and Philip aren't here, so I'm going to use them. They've got till the end of June to find a place to rent long term. Ain't a lot for rent. (laughs) They know the Lord brought them here. They're trusting. They're looking back and saying he's always been faithful We may be living in a box, but we're going to live somewhere. He will put a roof over our head. And they're trusting. And you know what they need to hear? He'll work all this out for your good. He's sovereign and in his providence, he's working. If he can work in the life of Joseph in such a way, he can work in your life too. That's what they need to hear. And then, if God, think about this for a second. If God is is sovereign over everything and he's the one working everything out, why would you not pray? Right? Like, well, he's got it worked out. That's a dumb thing, way of thinking. No! Pray! He says, pray, ask. You don't have because you don't ask. Lord, help Philip and Misty. Give them a place and do it in such a way, God, that only you get the credit. Right? Do this thing in such a way that everyone has to step back and go, 
That's God. That, that, that's, that's God working. Joseph's life. Already. All he's done is, from what we can tell, he's been born. He has a little bit of pride, it seems. He loves to rub it in his brother's faces like the rest of us would probably do. He listens to his dad. His dad sends him to go. And he's worked to get him all the way to where his brothers are. Those same brothers that are they're in a bad place because they hate him. How about that? The guy who just told you a little while ago that you're going to, you know, worship him. And then you see him walking up. Oh, here he comes. All right. Let's see. Let's see. Uh, somebody continue. No, no, go ahead, Rachel, and then Caleb next. Wait, stop there. <laughs> bitter? I mean, they're bitter. That's bitterness right there. Goes back to last week. If you struggle with anger, it turns to bitterness, and you will, before you know it, be conspiring to kill somebody. Go back and listen to last week's message of you, Sunday night. Look at this. They even refer to him. Here comes the dreamer. He can't control what they're conspiring right now. He can't control that. Continue. Miss Rachel. Look, there's details. There's details in this situation. Reuben steps up and is like, ah, no, let's not do that. Something Joseph couldn't control. Let's not, let's not shed his blood. Let's throw him into a pit. <laughs> Especially, look at, look at how it ended where, where she was just reading in 24. And they took him and they threw him into a pit. And look at what it, look what it notes. What's it note, Rachel? It's empty and there's no water in it. What, when, when the Bible puts stuff in there, there's a reason for it. It's to think, oh, that must be unique that there wasn't water in this pit. That's a unique factor that God was working in some way. So there's no water. Oh, interesting. What was he wearing too, that robe? I feel like that's a bad decision. I <laughs> got my robe on, going out to the, yeah, I just, no. Uh, that's something we can learn. I think a takeaway. Don't, don't be like Joseph in that. I don't, that seems unwise. Hey, guys, let me tell you about my dream. Well, I wear my coat that your father, who loves me more than the rest of you, gave me. Let me tell you about my dreams. Eh, probably not wise, but he's 17 or around that. Right, Mary? Right. Because what would you see coming from the distance? Right. And notice it's a coat, what, but it's of many colors. What, it's, it's over the top. And so I think, yeah, I think you're right. I think they see it and they're like, oh, that frick coat. I'm going to strangle his, yeah. Right? There's a flashy dreamer. Look at him. I want to take care of him real quick. And then God works and saying, oh, well, let's just put him in the pit. Oh, what pit? Oh, that pit over there looks great. Hopefully you can swim. Oh, wait, it doesn't even have water in it. Caleb, 25, go. Okay. <laughs> 
Yeah, but stop right there. <laughs> through, your, through your brother in a pit. Oh, you got hungry? I'm kind of hungry. Yeah, let's eat. <laughs> Some really family issues here going on. Go ahead. This is what happens when you have four moms. And... Right. Terrible, right? So glad he brought this to us with his flashy coat. Go ahead, Caleb, continue. And looking up, they saw a caravan of Ishmaelites coming from Gilead with caramel, with their camels bearing gum, balm, and myrrh on their way to carry it down to Egypt. Then Judah said to his brothers, What profit is it if we kill our brother and conceal his blood? Come, let us sell him to the Ishmaelites, and let not our hand be upon him, for he is our brother. Okay. A couple things here. Stuff happening, right? They sat down to eat, probably the food that he brought. And, and at the right time, looking up as they're eating, oh, look, a caravan. Oh, great. Ishmaelites. I don't know. Why do we have to know that? I don't know. Right? It's the expensive stuff going to Egypt to go to the higher-ups in Egypt probably would be what it's about because we're going to see that they're going to go and take Joseph with them and he's going to be sold to them. But there may also be other ties to it. This is the type of stuff, Ms. Didi, what you're asking right there. You go, okay, it's in here. Why is it in here? When we go back to studying the Bible, what you then do is you start to go, Huh. So, so like when I'm prepping on a sermon or something, I try to read through these texts over and over, listen to the text and go, wait a minute, why is that there? And then you start to go, well, let me search for those, those words anywhere else in the Bible and see if they match up with anything. Okay? So your homework, Miss Dee, you're going to find out if there's anything else other than what Tim has just brought up, that it's kind of these kind of uppity, you know. Yeah. Right. Right, certainly they use myrrh for that too. And then a balm could be for healing, things of that nature. With the gum, I don't know, does any of your footnotes say anything about the gum there? Mine calls it aromatic gum. Aromatic gum? Spices. Hmm. Now here's, now wait, now don't lose this. In the Gospel of Luke, Jesus, in explaining to his disciples, he says that all Scripture points to him. He says that all Scripture, whether it's what Moses wrote, the law, the prophets, or the writings, he says, actually, what all these things are pointing to is me. So as we go through this, there's things that we can point out about Joseph's story and we can take as well. But in the back of your mind, you've got to constantly keep in mind, how is this connected in any way to Jesus? There's going to be something about the fact that he's going to Egypt that's similar to Jesus. There's going to be something. Did you notice how much they sold him for? Shekels of what? Silver. Silver. Remind you of anything? Judas. Judas. A betrayal happened for 20 shekels of silver. Hmm. Now, is it possible that Joseph 
with his dream? Yeah, we don't know. I mean, it doesn't, it doesn't give, you know, any details on that. We don't know. It's a good question, but we don't know. You don't think so? Based upon maybe later in the story. We'll find out as we work through it and see if... Yeah. Or might not have worn the robe. Right. <laughs> he might have said, eh, maybe I should... Right. Maybe I don't want to go back to my home with y'all. Maybe I definitely want to tell my dad. Right. I'm telling dad who loves me more than you guys. I mean, I just feel like... Isn't it? So so what's interesting is that, again, we have to ask questions. Why is Scripture not even commenting on that at this point? Like Tim said, well, is it because maybe he knows or is he upset or what's going on? These are the questions we we, we need to ask. Sometimes what's interesting in Scripture is what it says. Sometimes it's interesting what's not there. You want to spend too much time focusing on it, but it's like, hmm, that's interesting. I probably would have added that. Good thing I, I'm not the Holy Spirit, so I didn't add this. Right. Yeah, the same text, right? You're going, huh? Hey, well, they. Seems like, well, let's put him over there, so I don't know. But it does point out that there was no water in it as a unique aspect. Or was it that there was no water and so he's not going to be able to drink and he'll die that way? Or was not instead of drowning, is it more that factor, maybe? Miss Karen, what do you think? Yeah. Man, knocked him out completely, yeah. Right? We just, those are details we don't know, so we got to go, okay, well, I'm not sure why some of these things are not mentioned. So what is, what is God trying to tell us in this situation? I think he's showing us, again, areas that he cannot control. Miss Rachel. Yeah, so I have ESV, I don't, and mine says, And Reuben said to them, Shed no blood, throw him into the pit here in the wilderness, but do not lay a hand on him. So Reuben says, don't in essence, shed no blood kind of means don't kill him, ultimately, or kill him in that way, perhaps. Um, shed no blood, throw him into the pit. That, and then he, it sounds like he's thinking this, that he might rescue him out of their hand to restore him to his father. That's what he was thinking there. Yeah, yeah. I'll come later and I'll save him. So let's just throw him in the pit. He'll still die down in there, which could be more linked to the water in that sense of that he's not having any drink. Oh, he'll still die. It'll just be a slow death in the pit versus, you know, shedding his blood out here. We shouldn't do that. So throw him in there. Could be where they're going with it. So the Ishmaelites, which, who's Ishmael? Elena, who? Right, when it, it mentions something. Abraham was supposed to have a son. God said, you're going to have a son. Promise son's going to come. Son doesn't come right away. What does Sarah say? Well, I'll take care of it. Yeah, go ahead and, and take the servant. Don't fall for that trick. That's a terrible idea, right? Taking matters, and okay, I'll go ahead and do that. Sure, honey, sure, great. With Hagar. So then that comes along, God says, no, that's not really your son, which is very interesting because when you talk to Muslims, that's actually who they say God's promised son is too, Abraham to Ishmael. And they will tell you that story. And they'll say everything in the story. It's so amazing. You listen to them tell the story of Abraham. They'll even talk about the sacrifice of Isaac or almost the almost sacrifice of Isaac. And they'll tell you everything that it sounds exactly the same, except Ishmael's there and not Isaac. 
And then, and then when you say, well, that's, that's actually Isaac, they're like, what? Because from the Ishmaelites, we see, again, the Arab peoples, and that's where they say they connected ultimately even to Muhammad, which would have been Arab, and thus the Muslims. But this is Joseph, who belongs to Jacob, who belonged to Isaac, who belonged to Abraham. God even using a former group who is follow, you know, a group that was under the other son, that's not part of the promise, to take Joseph to Egypt. Not coincidence. God's working, yeah. God is also using, like sometimes it gets a little hard to see how God can use the sin that's in our world and the darkness for our good and his glory, but he's using Reuben's selfishness and then Judah's selfishness to save his life. And right. Reuben's saying, don't kill him. Right. Right, I can come by and save him later. He's dad's favorite, okay? Yeah, Maybe, yeah. Points with daddy. Yeah. And then Judah's like, oh, well, he's right. like our brother, so maybe should get some money. Right, right. You get hope there in 26, right? Then Judah said to his brothers, what profit is it if we kill our brother and conceal his blood? Come, let us sell him to the Ishmaelites and let, no, let not our hand be upon him, for he is our brother of our own flesh. Oh, well, aren't you a sweet guy? We don't want to kill our own flesh. Let's sell him. Right? And God even using, that's good, Heather, using that sinfulness, that selfishness that I'm going to make a profit out of selling my own brother. And look what his brothers did. Listen to him. Then the Midianite traders passed by. They happened to be coming by at this time. Again, things that Joseph cannot control. His life is spiraling out of control right now. And they drew Joseph up and lifted him up from the pit and sold him to the Ishmaelites for 20 shekels of silver, which again is unique. Tied, which we'll get to another time. More all the ways that this connects to Jesus. And they took Joseph to Egypt. But when Reuben returned to the pit and saw that Joseph was not in the pit, he tore his clothes and returned to his brothers and said, The boy is gone, and I, where shall I go? Then they took Joseph's robe and slaughtered a goat and dipped the rope, the robe in the blood. And they sent the robe of many colors and brought it to their father and said, this is what we have found. Please identify whether or not this is your son's robe or not. And he identified it and said, it is my son's robe. A fierce animal has devoured him. Jo- Joseph is without a doubt torn to pieces. No other way of looking at it. Right? Blood on the robe, it's torn. He's dead. Just as a side note on this thing, there may always could be another explanation for things. Don't just see things with physical eyes. We need to be careful. I mean, this makes the most sense. I'm not saying he's wrong. It's just a side note. He's without a doubt been killed. Torn to pieces. Without a doubt, this is how it is. I can't see it any other way. You might be wrong. Then Jacob tore his garments and put sackcloth on his loins and mourned for his son for many days. All his sons and all his daughters rose up to comfort him, but he refused to be comforted and said, No, I shall go down to Sheol, to my son, to the place of dead. Mourning. Thus his father wept for him. Meanwhile, the Midianites had sold him in Egypt to Potiphar, an officer of Pharaoh, the captain of the guard. I notice his name is not Israel here. It's Jacob. Right. That is interesting. 
That's another thing that stands out. Interesting. All right, so that's where we'll end for this evening. But again, all those things. Could he even control who he was sold to? Nope. But it happened to be with those people who were kind of uppity or at least selling some uppity goods, like Tim and Cindy were mentioning. And so, hey, part of that, I also, we also have a slave for you. And it works out that he gets to be with Potiphar, which happens to be an officer of Pharaoh, who happens to be the captain of the guard. So big idea for the night, obviously, looking at Joseph, Joseph's life. There are so many things that he cannot control, and God and his providence is working out things for his glory, and actually Joseph's good, including other people's sin, and he's actually working it for Joseph's good. Even, and if the story ends here, it doesn't look very good. But the story doesn't end here. Our story doesn't end right now. There's more that's happening. All right, we'll pick up in 38. No, we won't. We're going to skip over 38. 38's a weird story, but um, you can read that on your own. If you have questions about 38, I'll gladly discuss it with you, but it's not directly linked to Joseph, so we will skip over that. We will be in 39 next week, so uh, read 39. We, we, we wouldn't be able to have kids in that night, and so it'd be kind of tough. So um, read over it, and we can go through verse by verse together, Miss Didi, if you'd like, like at another time. Because this is just a story of Joseph's life, and so this isn't directly related to Joseph. Miss Beth, were you just showing me your flower? or Okay, that's very nice. I thought you were trying to get Mr. Mike's attention. I did see that. I'm guessing that that came from your, not your, not your favorite child, but... <laughs> You're amen to that. Amen to that. All right, let's uh, let's close in prayer, and uh, yeah, you guys can be dismissed for the night. Father, we do thank you for this time together. Thank you for um, your word, and that your word is true, Lord. Help us to really fight to believe, Lord, to notice the things that you're doing around and know that these are not just accidents or random things happening, but Lord, in your providence, you're working all these things for our good and your glory. Lord, help us when we're doubting those, that, doubting that you're doing that, doubting what's happening, questioning, Lord, uh, something bad that's going on. Bring us back to these truths, Lord, uh, that we would rightly worship you and honestly have uh, hope to be able to battle these things. Uh, Lord, help us to see the, the wisdom and um, just in, the, in how you're working in, in Joseph's life. And Lord, prepare us more and more to, to get more out of this as hopefully we read over it again and think through this in, in more detail, Lord. Uh, by your spirit, reveal more to us. Thank you again for everybody that's here tonight, Lord. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you, guys.